Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Champions League Final Edition. This is Donnie Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer.com. I am not walking alone. I am with Chris Ryan. What's up? Chris Ryan sounds a little... (laughs) The champions! And our dearly departed, Ryan O'Hanlon. European royalty! (laughs) The XG guy. We'll try to be good, though. we're We're trying not to, like, make this insufferable. 2-0 Liverpool over Tottenham in Madrid. This is Liverpool's sixth jug-eared trophy, now surpassing Bayern Munich and Barcelona. First of all, just off top, Chris Ryan, how do you feel right now? Uh, Obviously not the most entertaining 90 minutes of my life, but very satisfying because I look at it as a culmination of the Klopp project and especially feels like payback for last year. I'm sure Tottenham fans are pretty pissed off about that penalty, which I'm sure we'll discuss ad nauseum. We'll but get into that. We'll get into that. So after, Klopp's first. After Kiev, after Salah going out so early in that game and Karius probably playing with a concussion and everything that happened in that, you know, finals are a little bit nervy. They can break really easily on these sort of weird, weird runs of play. I, I, I'm sure the Spurs fans are not psyched about how this went, but um, that's it's kind of like how tournament final football goes. Right, Ryan? Right. Klopp's first trophy in England, we should mention. But Ryan, how do you feel about the final? Obviously, be, beyond uh, the euphoria. Yeah, I mean, I my biggest takeaway from this game is the best way to win the Champions League is to keep getting into the Champions League because <laughs> random fucking shit happens every time literally every year and you know the more times you're in it you know this is Klopp's third time it's Liverpool's third time since 2007 and it's the first for both of them in that um in that span so I, I think that's my big takeaway but you know it was one of the more excruciating games I've ever watched as a fan I imagine this is what it um is like to watch the Italian national team every time they play <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nick a goal and then suck the life out of the game and sort of keep your opponent at arm's length but like your opponent is still kind of near the goal the whole time so uh it was a little you know not the kind of sort of heavy metal uh euphoria um that you're associate you associate with this team but i think every minute beyond the game it, it just uh it starts to sink in a little more and more donnie i actually thought that the game was uh to go off what Ryan said with the lack of heavy metal football and the lack of what we usually associate with clock ball. Like I thought it was pretty much a testament to what Liverpool tried to do this year, which was play a little bit more conservatively, which was to rely a lot on their defense. And this game was really like a a pretty, pretty great show showcase for Allison and Van Dyke. 
I mean, that's the thing. Liverpool are known for the Gengen pressing and the heavy metal football. But if you look at this year, they didn't get to 97 points by winning 4-0 every match. I mean, they squeezed out, eked out, or defended four, like hell. Yeah, or 4-3. Mm-hmm. But before we, like, before we double-click on the moments of the final, there weren't that many moments. We should first say that as a neutral, I'm a neutral. It wasn't the best advertisement for European football. If this was the only match you watched of the Champions League, I mean, we had Bill Simmons in our Slack slacking with a bunch of Z's for Sleepy. Let, so let, you let, let me start with, bet on Spurs. Although I guess Bill has some, <laughs> some Liverpool ties with the Red Sox thing, but let me, let me start with this. Who would you say, uh, uh, of a, noth- a nothing burger of a match like this, who would you say was your man of the match? Chris. Um, that's a great question, Donnie. I guess I'm going to go Van Dyke because I felt like his presence made it so that I never felt like Tottenham had a comeback in them. I felt like he was going to be able to handle Kane. He was going to be able to handle Son. He was going to be able to handle Delhi. And then when Mora came on, and usually you expect, and now we've come to learn to expect these late game heroics from Mora. I was just like, I don't know. I feel like the best central defender in the world is on the field. It's going to take a miracle for Tottenham to score. You felt pretty secure in the second half. I mean, yeah, Spurs I mean, I, I hear eight, eight Ryan saying it was a long time to wait, but I never was like, God, it's really raining shots on target now i don't know how right, they're going right. to do it and when they when those shots came in the second half i think they had eight shots on target in the second half maybe uh it, it's just like the difference between carius and allison was on display right right ryan who would you give the man of the match to uh i think i i think i'd give it to van dyke too i think the only real other um option is allison but you know it's hard for me to give it to Allison because Spurs didn't have a shot on target until the 72nd minute, I think. So it's a very kind of compressed time frame. And he never, you know, I think the one huge chance uh, Spurs had was the Lucas Mora one where he kind of, um, the ball bounced to him and he sold it inside the box. And right. Allison kind of just was in the right position more than making an incredible save, which is kind of um, his MO for the most part. Um so I think Van Dyke too, because I think you can kind of, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, but I think, you know, Spurs got into the Liverpool box pretty frequently, but it never seemed dangerous. And, you know, Liverpool gets into the Spurs box in, within the first minute of the game, and it's a complete crisis. Um, so I think just that contrast kind of, uh, you know, shines on Van Dyke really nicely. Yeah. yeah. You know who my man of the match is? It's not Origi, although Origi has scored some ginormous goals this season it's amazing all but, every shot he's taken in the champions league has gone in that's amazing that's amazing so <laughs> is so, that a real so, stat that's what that that someone a, tweeted it. i haven't verified it with opta but uh if it's on if it's on twitter ryan you know it's true so anyway mm-hmm. my man of the match is actually a slovenian by the name of damir skomina which i had to google <laughs> So now let's go to what happened in the match, of course. All right, first of all, let's take it from the very top. Demir Skomin is the referee, of course. So let's go from the very top. The starting 11s, it was a big debate whether or not Harry Kane would be fit to start. And even if he were fit, if Pochettino would uh, use Kane as a starter, given how uh, Mora performed up top against Ajax, were you guys surprised? Or did you think that was the right decision? I mean, I guess, you know, how the match played out affects how you view this, but were you guys surprised to see Kane up top for Spurs in the starting 11, Ryan? I wasn't surprised to see him. I, my kind of thought process, well, one, everything we know about Harry Kane is that 
you'd basically have to kidnap him and like tie a weight to his leg and throw him into the Atlantic ocean to keep him from playing. Um, and you know, I think Spurs came into the game as sizable underdogs and playing a potentially injured Kane who those who still has kind of a chance to, you know, create one or one or two of those moments seems like kind of the risk that you should maybe take, um, as an underdog. So it, it didn't surprise me to see him in the lineup to start. So, and Liverpool's 11, I think you mentioned to me, Ryan, before that this is the first time Klopp has deployed this exact 11, but it was probably because Matip was starting at center back because the rest of the, the other 10 were pretty much predictable, right? Yeah, I, I think when Chris and I talked about like the lineup before the game and most Liverpool fans, I think this is the lineup they would have expected. So I think it was more of just the statistical quirk because of the center back, which doesn't really have much of an effect kind of on how the team functions as a whole. Donnie, just on the Kane thing, I would say m- my surprise wasn't that he started. It was that he finished. I thought it yeah. was, it was, it was, it was strange that poach for as great a manager as he is. I almost feel like he was being sentimental. Like, you know, like he was leaving him out there when I, I, I guess you I could make the argument you. that Ali doesn't have the, um, sometimes doesn't always have like positional discipline or his mistakes can be a little bit more glaring, but he seemed a little bit more dangerous than Kane did towards the end of the match. So I was pretty surprised to see, to see Delhi come off and Kane stay on. It goes back to that Pep Guardiola pejorative Harry Kane team. It's, it's obviously been proven not true when Kane has been out, but when you have such a talismanic sort of totem, it's hard as a manager, I think to not use him. But anyway, let's get into the biggest talking point of this match, which is in the very first minute, a handball on Musa Sissoko off a Sadio Mane cross. First of all, was it a handball, Chris? Yeah, it was. Sissoko, right. he, he can be unlucky, but he's also, it was also stupid. He shouldn't be waving his hands around in the box like that. Agreed. But Ryan, handball or no? Yes. They also, you know, have added levels of technology to um, right. They, they've, they've, now. They've, they've it, but we've often discussed how VAR and handballs is a tricky thing because the ball can go off of your hand in any way, but the rule says there has to be some kind of deliberate motion. And Chris, to your point, Masoko's arms were in a very unnatural position, and that's certainly his fault. The ball, yeah, he was pointing. His, the ball hit his armpit and then on its way down grazed his hand. Uh, to me, it was very unjust, and I think it ruined the final. So I let mean, me I ask you, you guys... this, Donnie. Was it unjust and ruined the final because it happened in the first minute? Because if it was 1-1 yeah. in the 89th or in stoppage time in the, in, in the 92nd minute, and they call that same call, do you think it ruins the final? That's an interesting question, and maybe I'll answer that question with another question. If they didn't call, if they didn't call that as a handball and make it a penalty, would we have talked about that as a major talking point? That in the first minute, a ball grazed Sissoko's hand, and they didn't call a penalty, and that had a major effect on the game. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I just hate talking about penalties. It's just like it's very it's so yeah. I know it is part of the game for me. But so it I, is. Think, really, I, I think that if if he had missed the call, I would have been like, that seemed like a handball, but play on. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to relitigate decisions and we could talk ourselves into circles, but it's interesting because like, just to go on a bit of a tangent here, philosophically, I don't watch NBA that much, but when I do, 
I've had these debates with people that watch NBA religiously, even including people that work at The Ringer. To me, part of the reason I don't like watching the NBA or at least games from start to finish is because I feel like in the first half, even the first three quarters, everything that happens is inconsequential. Therefore, I only need to watch the last five minutes and then, you know, that's the most important part of the match. I think with soccer, maybe it's the reverse problem because it's because goal scoring is, is such a premium. Something that happens in the first minute has such a disproportionate effect on the rest of the match that it can ruin it. I think it, with finals, with important matches, they often say like an early goal helps because it forces the other team to open up. But it just really took the sting out of the match. I mean, barely poured your first beer. And, and Liverpool are up and it just, the mental calculus changes, the tactics change. You really feel like you're, the match started at 1-0 Liverpool, like they had a handicap. And uh, to me, it just kind of, it just, took, it, it just took a little bit of excitement out of it. And I think, you know, I mean, Ryan, you can speak to this. Both of you guys can speak to this. I feel like Liverpool changed. Like they, you know, the, these bombing fullbacks that we always talk about, they weren't bombing anymore, even from like the first half. I, I totally agree that like from a, like an early goal has a huge effect on how the game's played. There's, you know, tons of research behind how teams change the way that they play. And I think, you know, you, in a game like this, from a neutral perspective, you would prefer, if you're going to even have a penalty, you would prefer the underdog to be the team that gets the penalty, you know, right. Um, right. not the team that's favored. So I think, I think the real issue here is, for me is that the penalty rule is just stupid, you know, like it's a, <laughs> that it, it, it gives, you know, it's a 75% chance that you score, you know, just on average. And Liverpool would, did not, wasn't in a 75% chance, you know, place when they got that, that um, penalty. But at the same time, you know, it is the rule. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. With VAR coming to the Prem next season, it's basically what we're, our future is anytime the ball touches your hand anywhere in the penalty box, it's going to be a penalty. I mean, for better or worse. And I mean, I, I guess that's like letter of the law. Uh, but all right. So the rest of the first half. I, I would just say just to add in there, Donnie, like I, I, I kind of am having a little bit of a hard time. And this, this might seem like, obviously I would say this, but I don't have like a ton of sympathy for, for Spurs here. I felt like they had 89 minutes to get it even. And I, I expected them to, I was like, look, this is a team that is never out of it. They've come back. What? Like five times in the champions league, like against Dortmund against man city and, and yep. you know, against Ajax, they're never yep. dead. They get to the final. They've got their, their, their leading goal scorer captain back. Uh, and they just didn't seem to have any ideas as the game went on. And I was kind of stunned by that. I don't know whether it was something about the midfield that they had, but these were two teams that I felt like almost, almost like blanked each other out tactically and athletically. And that's why we had the game we had. Yeah. We're talking about Kane off the pace, but Harry Winks starting was kind of a surprise, like two months on the shelf. So the first half was kind of dull. We should say, I mean, after that penalty, do you think part of that Ryan might be, I mean, back to the NBA, we talk about layoffs and stuff like that. I mean, it was three weeks since their last match. The first match, the first half, excuse me, of the Europa League final was also extremely dull. Did you feel like the teams were kind of, I don't know, cold? I, I guess you could read into it that way, but I, I think the factor for me that maybe made the bigger difference, and this also, I like this because it also applies to the Europa League, 
Like these teams just know each other really well. You know, it's right. the third time they've played each other this year, and they've also played each other at least twice a season. You know, with relatively similar teams. Obviously, I think Liverpool's team has changed significantly over the past uh, three years. So I think that, to me, that's kind of a more um, useful explanation because you know the other argument you can make is that everyone has time to rest and freshen up. You know. Um, and that for two teams that like to play super energetic styles, you think that would, you know, let them be even more energetic. Um, so you're saying with, with or without the penalty in the first, in the second minute, you, you, you think that the, the first half would have kind of played out similarly teams kind of cagey feeling each other out. I think, I think Liverpool, so first half Liverpool completed fewer passes than they've completed in a single half the entire season. Um, driving clock. <laughs> Yeah, but they also outshot Tottenham eight to two. Um, so you know it still worked in their favor, but it's hard for me to believe that that kind of distribution of you know uh, territory or whatever you want to call it still happens if Liverpool doesn't score right away. So I, I think right. it's a more I think it's a more exciting um, the flow of the game is more exciting if Liverpool doesn't score right away. Right. So we have kind of a tense KG first 45 at halftime. Liverpool, of course, are up 1-0. I imagine Klopp saying 45 minutes and we got big old jug ears. What do you think Pochettino, Chris, is saying to Spurs or thinking? Because Pochettino, for I guess his entire managerial career, has been known for making adjustments and kind of figuring out how to unlock in the second halves of matches. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the subs, I guess, in a second, but I mean, Spurs were still in the match, so you would imagine he was telling them to press forward, and I guess they did so in the in the early stages of the second half. They had chances. Yeah, there was something about Spurs' Champions League run, especially the Ajax tie, and then going into this, that it felt like they were hoping for chaos to break on their side. You know, you think about right. that moral goal, and it's just like such an out-of-nowhere thing. I kind of, I don't think that Pochettino was like, yeah, this is like our plan is for like hoping it breaks right for us. But this was not a game that I felt especially was played on the ground. I'd love to see Ryan, like the stats on like, not even like percentage of possession in the game, but just what was the most sustained amount of possession any side had for the game. It felt like a lot of uh, not necessarily aerial duels, but like almost weird mid mid-level volleys that were pinging around and kind of, Possession would change hands two or three times. Uh, a little Liverpool sloppy. sloppy. Yeah, a little sloppy. Liverpool was looking for Mane long balls early on to try to stretch them, but it was also like I think a testament to the fact that they they don't really have like a step on the ball and and really play it you know around the the midfield midfield right now. They're not. That's not how they play. Naby was supposed to be that to some extent, but when you're playing Wijnaldum and Hendo and Fabinho. That's like a more of a muscular engine room rather than like a string puller. So, and with with Tottenham, I was just kind of surprised that they didn't try to like just say, okay, one nothing, but we're we still have like a ton of game left. So let's just kind of move it around and like wear these guys out, have them chase us a bit, and see what we can open up. And instead, I felt like they were almost playing Liverpool's game. Uh, Ryan, was that? What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean it's it's tough because I I think I agree with the game like not really existing in midfield at all. And I think that that has a lot to do with just at least Liverpool. That's kind of not their MO. You know, they really, their fullbacks are their two most important players as far as build up play. Um, and Tottenham essentially like did not play with a midfield 
for most of the season. Um, so then seeing them kind of trying to reintegrate Winks, who's, you know, theoretically, you know, kind of a possession style player, um, you know, theoretically that would lead to them being able to kind of play through the midfield, but Liverpool, like you, you see how they defend like that, that, that you can't play through Liverpool's midfield. The only teams that did it this year were PSG and Bayern at times, you know, and that's just not who Tottenham has. So it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of Toby out of your own, like super long switches trying to get, you know, the guy in the opposite flank in space. So I think it's, you know, it's tough because I don't know. I, I, we don't know what happened, but Kane was just a, a non-factor, you know, and took it's one shot the entire game. Yeah. Um, so that, it's like, you know, you saw Firmino, Firmino was a non-factor too, and Klopp took him off, you know, early in the game. And yeah. the guy who came on for him <laughs> scored the winner while Kane just kept playing. And I don't know. I, I don't know what the deal is and what, what went on there, how fit he was. But to me, that taking Kane off would have kind of been the obvious, <laughs> the obvious move to me. And it, it never happened. Yeah, we had uh, Pochettino's first sub was the Ajax hero Mora on for Winks in the 66th. And then uh, Dyer came on for Sissoko. And then the time that I thought Kane was going to come off was at the 82nd uh, for, I mean, he took off Deli Ali and put on Lorente, which to me, Deli Ali had a couple half chances in the second half. I mean, do you guys think it's fair to say, and, and I, I predict that you guys will say it's unfair to say, but that around the... Because uh, Spurs started the second half, I thought, on the ascendancy. They were pressing a little bit. Obviously, they needed to score. I would say like 10 or 15 minutes in, Liverpool really did batten down the hatches. Even to go so far as to say that I felt they were time-wasting a little bit on the goal kicks. And, and it was kind of just like, maybe not so far as to park the bus, but it was a lot of men behind the ball. You know what I would say to that, though? like and. Uh, I agree with you that I'm sure that there was plenty of like time wasting and gamesmanship and shit housing and all that stuff. You but might. I would also say that that's like product of Liverpool being there before. Like Liverpool right. went to Kiev and played Real Madrid and played against Ramos and played against those guys and saw like finals aren't won by like being Johan Cruyff. They're won by being Sergio Ramos. They're won by point. Sergio Busquets. They're won by guys who take 30 more seconds to get up off the ground and make a team sort of have to think twice about what they were maybe going to do. And that's just experience, man. That's just like how you, that's how you win a final. That's a great point. I mean, trophies are won through kind of that grit sometimes, um, or a lot of the times, I guess, just by kind of like the steel and just holding your resolve. Uh, Ryan, did you feel like, I mean, the player that popped out in white was Sonny, uh, Son Heung-min. Like, I think he had, I mean, it was in the final third, as it usually is when teams can't score, that Spurs failed. But Sonny had a couple mini breaks. I remember, Ryan, in your newsletter, you mentioned that if Liverpool have a weakness, it's getting behind the defense. And Sonny has this pace to do that. Were you ever nervous when you saw him kind of galloping? Uh, I mean, that's the thing. Van Dyke and, and then we're kind of keeping up with him. But were there, was there any moment, I guess, in the second half where you felt like Spurs were likely to score? Uh, I never felt like they were likely to score because it's, you know, like I talked about the, the, to me, the Lucas chance was the only really good chance. They had a lot of shots on target, but if you look at them, that was the only one for me kind of inside the box in the center, um, you know, between the width of the six yard box, everything else was either outside the box or like on a tight angle. Um, 
But I think I think they they were their most dangerous when Sun. I think in the second half he dropped a little deeper, kind of mm-hmm. in the space between the midfield and the defense, and ran at Liverpool a couple times. And you know he's just such a dangerous finisher that it's hard not to be scared. Um, and you know the, the this but the kind of symbolic moment of this was it looked like he dusted Van Dyke, who literally has not been dribbled by once the entire season um, statistically. <laughs> And then Van Dyke runs him down and just easily kind of bodies him off the ball and clears him for a corner kick or whatever. Um, so I think that that kind of typifies like the half dangerousness, I guess, of of those moments to me. Yeah, and and to Chris, your point earlier too. I think finals or matches in general turn on error errors, or should I say slips <laughs> or different things that happen like mistakes. And Liverpool really didn't shoulder make injuries. Mis- <laughs> and shoulder injuries. Uh, but Liverpool really didn't have any of those. I mean, it was just a solid, you know, like they were kind of leak proof. And I mean, that's a credit I would to just them. say to Spurs fans in terms of like, I mean, it looks like Sarri's going to go to Juventus. And I don't know what this means for Pochettino's future in Spurs. But, you know, this is the third final that Liverpool's been in in three seasons. It, it's exhausting. You do start to second guess whether or not like you're going to be the bridesmaid. But that's a pretty good Spurs team with a great manager. Uh, I, I don't think that they should hang their heads. And I think that if they actually just spent some money on a couple of different parts of the team, they could be back in the mix next season. It's a big if. That's like a $50 million pound if because <laughs> it, 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 it remains to be seen whether or not the checkbook will open. Because I think for Daniel Levy's perspective... On the other hand, you know what's kind of wild about watching these two teams? And, and this is the, cool, the coolest thing about the sport is that for the amount of money that was spent on, on, on football... Over, over the last 12 months, Joel Maddup and, uh, you know, like guys like Joel Maddup are, are playing in the Champions League final. You know, Musa Sissoko, who was supposed to be a complete bust. Granted, he didn't have a great first minute, but I thought he played pretty decently for the rest of the game. Like, it, it just goes to show you, it's really, you. sometimes it's not all about money. I, I, I know that, obviously, I'm coming from the perspective of a team, cheering for a team that just bought you know, Virgil van Dyke and Allison and essentially like solidified their chances. But it's, it is kind of wild to watch like some of the guys who are going to get medals, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think Joe Matip had a really excellent match, but all right, let's fast forward now toward the end of the game. That man, Origi, 87th minute. I mean, Liverpool were starting to stretch Spurs. I think, uh, you know, Spurs were throwing so many men forward, but that finish, I mean, to me, Ryan, I don't know, Origi could supplant Bobby Firmino at some point, right? In the future. He's a a clinical finisher. He doesn't do he doesn't do all the things Firmino does, obviously. But the the man has a knack knack for the big goal. Yeah, he he absolutely does. And like you know, if we want to do the um, you know uh, smart squad building, get all the value you can out of players. um, Maybe Origi is someone you would like in a vacuum sell to another team because he's scored a bunch of goals in key moments that like might not happen again. But like, fuck that. He should just be on Liverpool for the rest of his life and they should pay him (laughs) more than any player in the world. Um, But I don't think, you know, there's kind of a saying that I think is mm, not quite true, but true fairly often that if Firmino plays well, Liverpool plays well, just because he does so much. um, Right. And, you know, he didn't play that well today. So I think it's... You can see a couple of times where Origi was doing what Firmino does, where he comes deep to get the ball and then make that turn and try and find somebody 
basically release someone on the wing or up the channel. And right. he just doesn't have the touch or the passing sensibility to do that. Right. Right. That's fair. no, exactly. But I think he makes him that he's a nice, uh, a solid piece to bring off the bench. Like as he's shown time and time and time again. Yeah. All right. So two nil to the Liverpool, uh, for, for Spurs, is there anything, I mean, Chris, you kind of, you kind <laughs> Donnie, of, we did, have to remark upon this. I, I can't believe how down you are about this. <laughs> Mind the gap. Dude. <laughs> this is a, this is a W for the gunners. I know. I, I wanted, I wanted good for Sonny and honestly it, it's, you know, similar to the world cup final in that I feel like a handball or a not handball kind of changed the course of the match. And I always hate, no matter what sporting event I'm watching, it, if the referee has sort of that kind of effect on a match. Because it's not a goal-scoring opportunity per se. I mean, who knows? I guess if that Mane cross goes through. But uh, to me, it kind of, it, it just affects the match in a way that should be affected by the players on the pitch, uh, not the guy with the whistle. So uh, I was more so disappointed because in the run-up to the match, I was so excited about these two teams facing off and like the kind of attacking football we might see. And it, there was really very minimal attacking football. I mean, there was like desperate football, but it wasn't sort of, you know, what we saw in the semifinals and the quarterfinals, et cetera. I mean, finals because of the pressure and the stakes, a lot of times are like that. But uh, I mean, I guess overall my tone is one of disappointment. Yeah. I guess it's just hard to be that. It's hard to complain after that champions league that we had though. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I think, you know, honestly, handball or no handball, I thought Liverpool were going to win. Uh, I would have predicted that they would have won. Uh, I, I guess just the way it played out is kind of unsatisfying, dissatisfying. But, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I was mentioning in the Slack, it's like, we will remember maybe these minute details, but at the end of the day, you remember the trophies. So, you know, kudos to you guys. Uh, so moving forward, <laughs> mo- moving forward, Chris, you, men- you mentioned Spurs. You think they should keep the band together. They're this close, although I f- think they won't be in a Champions League final again for a long time. For your guys, for Liverpool, I mean, you know, w- this has been a- an amazing season, a 97 point season, one point off the top, the Champions League trophy. I mean, it can't. I mean, this is a successful season. I mean, like, how do you even build on this? Obviously, by winning the league, I guess. But Ryan, what do you think about that? I mean, I think ninety-seven points uh, and a Champions League, like <laughs> it doesn't get better than that, unless it's you know Manchester City building on what they did last year, almost. Right. So it, it's it's a good point of you know you're kind of it's a shift in a way for Liverpool, right? In that it's um, the club has whether or not they've always been underdogs, they've always kind of fashioned themselves as underdogs, I think. Um, and it's just not going to be true anymore. You know, they're never going to be able to spend as much as city PSG, um, United Madrid, and maybe Barca, but like they're right there on the edge of it. So it's, um, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, the club has reached a point where I told Chris this, it's kind of like, I don't even care about the transfer market and like the moves they make because typically the moves work out. So it's just like trust in what they're doing. The track record is so good now that it's like, you know, they'll bring in who they need to bring in and, and you know, those players will suddenly play better under class. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how you 
you know, because I think one one thing I'll say, I guess, is that the the great teams that have sustained success, and I think Alex Ferguson has talked about this. You kind of have to be a little ruthless in getting squad turnover and getting rid of guys you might be sentimentally attached to, or easing out players that played key roles. So I think I think that's probably the next the next challenge for them. But it's a great team and not a very old team, so I think I think they're going to be, you know, at this this level for a couple more years at least. What you're saying is bye bye Sturridge. Chris, is there anyone to add to this team? I mean, a 97-point squad and the Champions League trophy? I mean, you know, you one, one would, presu- one would Be- presume Messi. that City will add somebody, but yeah, Messi. No, I, 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 a couple of things. I would love to see uh, a little bit more dynamic bench depth. I think Shakiri had a good had some good parts of the season. He also vanished for significant parts of the season. He is never going to pay for a drink in... in the rest of his life, if there's a Liverpool fan in the bar because of his assist on, uh, on the free kick that went in against Barcelona. But, right. uh, you know, I think he's, he's like at about the ceiling of what he can contribute. I love Divock, but obviously like over the course of like, uh, three or four competitions over the course of a premier league season, you probably want like a little bit more of a reliable amount of attacking depth. I'd love to see kids like Ryan Brewster and Harry Wilson and maybe even Ben Woodburn or, some of the kids who've been kicking around the Academy and, and really making noise. That's always my favorite thing is when some, you know, you get some 20, 19, 20 year olds coming out of nowhere like that. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a couple of people who can go, a couple of people can stay, but I agree with Ryan. Like one of the things that Ferguson was always so good at was just kind of being like, I'm done with Van Nisselroy. Right. Right. Like at, at oh, more yeah. or less like before Van Nisselroy even knew he was done. And and getting guys like Berbatov in an almost seemingly mercenary way, and, and getting guys like Van Persie, it's like he kind of knew how to um, how to always keep it turning over. It'll be really interesting to see whether Liverpool gets sentimental about any of these guys. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the Arsene Wenger problem, and what you see with, in contrast, for example, Pep, that kind of ruthlessness that's required to stay at the top, where it's like Joe Hart. See ya, Yaya Torre, peace, you know? I mean, it's like these club legends, basically. I mean, maybe Hart's not a legend, but just like turn the page because you know, you're no mm-hmm. longer of service. Ah, well, we had a final. Ryan, Chris, you'll never walk alone. I can't believe I just did a podcast about Liverpool winning the Champions League and it's ending with, oh, we had a final. <laughs> actually, let me, let me just say, actually, on a somber note uh, this morning, Jose Antonio Reyes, former Arsenal forward, also Sevilla, Real Madrid, uh, died in a car crash only at age 35. There was a nice moment of silence uh, before the match. Yeah. Amazing left foot. What a guy. wonderful player, man. What a, be- yeah. what a beautiful football player. Love him. So, totally. Um, All right, guys. Well, I guess this wraps up our Champions League final emergency pod. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, Ryan, from calling in from wherever you are. Wait, did we not talk at all all about Baku? Oh, yeah. Yeah, some final happened in Azerbaijan. (laughs) (laughs) Goals were scored. You know, penalties were not called. Speaking of, like, penalties, why didn't they call penalties in that one? But anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, moving forward for FC, guys, listeners, uh, you know, Women's World Cup is starting next Friday. We're never far from football, so we'll have some kind of pod during the We'll be tournament. around. Yeah, we'll be around. So, Ryan and Chris, thank you. And thank you, Evan Campbell, our producer. We'll see you when we see you. See you when we see you guys. Bye.